Tonight, I want to talk about a, a topic that uh, I, I feel doesn't get covered enough, and that is sustaining a move of God, right? We talk a lot about a move of God and attaining a move of God, but tonight I want to talk about sustaining a move, a move of God in your life. When the Lord moves and things change in our lives, it's really easy to move on and forget. Some of us are better than others. And so this message could be viewed as somewhat of maybe not a continuation of House of Miracles, but an epilogue, right? It's kind of finalizing and, and cleaning things up a little bit. So over this, this series, I feel like we've seen the Lord move. We've seen people change drastically. We've seen people receive healing. I've heard in our staff meetings, we get to hear these awesome praise reports that maybe not everyone gets to hear, and we just get to hear about the miracles, the healings, the uh, Christ encounters that people are having, and it just, it's so encouraging that we're actually seeing our church transform, right? That's our mission. We want to see people transformed, but we're actually starting to see it. There was a a shift, I don't know, it was about three weeks ago, where it, maybe three or four weeks ago, where you could physically see a difference in, in this campus. So I don't know what it was, but there was just a, a complete engagement. It, it was like the Lord just swept through here and wrecked everybody. And I remember that night when that happened, I'm on my way home and I'm driving and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, Please don't let me lose this. I never want this to go away. I never want this passion. I never want this fire to be put out. I want to live like this forever. And so, again, this, this series wasn't a get it and forget it. Like, you don't just move on, right? This is something that, that, that can change our life forever. And I want to talk about how we do that. And so we have these moments, these highlights in our lives, moments like uh, a jubilee, right, or a worship night, or maybe it's a mission trip for you, or it's a miracle that you've, that you've been a part of or that you've received or, or whatever. Come on now. Was, someone was calling in to tell me amen. That's what was happening. <laughs> But you've been apart, right? You've had these moments, those mountaintop moments, those God moments, right? Does everybody remember these? Yep, yep. I've had plenty of those in my life. In youth ministry, we call that a camp high, okay? I was in youth ministry for, Lord knows, way too long, okay? <laughs> way too long. And we called it a camp high. Now, we didn't say this to the kids, right, because that's rude. But we talked about them behind their backs and just said... <laughs> But, you know, we knew what to expect, not just because we, we thought poorly of them, but because we had been there, right? I remember being a kid and going to youth camp, and I get home, and my life's completely different. I'm talking about the Lord. I'm actually reading that devotional my mom got me, right? I'm, like, in the Word. I'm worshiping, and my mom's, like, telling Pastor Jacob, I've got a brand new son, right? Right? And then it takes about like, give or take two weeks, and then it's like, what happened, right? You had this crazy encounter with the Lord, and now you're, you're worse. You're worse off than you were. How did that even happen? And so I think it's because we don't know how to sustain a move of God in our life, 
right? If we live from high to high to high to high, that, the Holy Spirit becomes a drug at that point, and that can't sustain you. And so if we live off this momentum, it's bound to slow down. And the typical turnaround for a student is around two weeks. But here's the thing. As an adult, I realized this wasn't a youth problem. I'm not speaking that from a place of condemnation. I'm speaking that from a place of self-experience, right? Where, man, God gave me some word to stand on in Jubilee, and it's awesome, and I'm telling everybody about it, and then something falls through, right? Something doesn't work. And what happens? Well, you're either going to stand in faith, right? Or you're going to fall down in fear. And so over and over again, we go through this cycle. And here I'm going to give you a a quick phrase. I think this, in my opinion, I believe the way that we sustain a move of God in our life is that we steward the fire and we share the flame. We steward the fire and we share the flame. And so we're going to, we're going to look into uh, a lot of scripture tonight. We're going to start in everyone's favorite book, Leviticus. So you want to open your Bibles? Are you guys saying there's a book of the Bible you don't like? All right, you're lucky Pastor Austin's not in here tonight. Or maybe I'm the lucky one. Leviticus 6, 13. It says, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So this is said in verse 9. 12 and 13 of the same chapter. So Leviticus 6, 9, 12, and 13. God is constantly repeating this to Moses. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to explain how burnt offerings are going to work, how sacrifices are going to work. And he tells him, you better remember this because you got to tell Aaron. And so God's repeating himself over and over and over again. And how many of you know, when something's in the Bible three times, pay attention. In chapter 9, they actually, this fire gets lit, okay? In chapter 9, verse 24, it says, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So here's the thing. The Lord lights the fire, but the people of God maintain it. So the Lord lit that fire. He lit the fire on the altar, but Aaron was supposed to keep it going. So over and over and over again, they're stacking wood, they're doing offerings. This fire does not go out. And so, I mean, obviously you can see the the comparison here. Right When that fire is ignited on the inside of you, when the Lord sets you ablaze, when something happens, that's just a miracle. There's no other explanation. It's your job to maintain that fire, to maintain that flame. Now, fire, fire is not for itself, right? Fire gets no pleasure out of being fire. It's just fire. It is what it is. It's for those who are around it, right? For the people of Israel, when God lit this fire on the altar, 
They shouted. They were in awe. And that fire was a means for them to, to, to seek forgiveness, right? It was an altar to sacrifice, to receive forgiveness. And so fire can be for several things. It might be burnt offerings. It might be a prescribed burn, right? It might be for warmth, to cook. I'll tell you a quick story real fast because why not? I got the mic. Boy Scouts. I was in Boy Scouts, okay? I was in Boy Scouts. No, I did not get my Eagle Scout. I know. Condemnate, look down, whatever. Okay. I tried, okay? I just, it wasn't for me. And we, at the very beginning, I remember one of the first big trips we took, we did a, uh, like, like how to start a fire. It was a survival trip. I mean, we're like 12, so it, it only goes really so serious, but, but it's a survival trip. And so the first thing we do is we learn how to start a fire. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to start a fire without a lighter before, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And so you've got these 12, 13-year-old sweaty, nasty boys getting hot, trying to start this fire where everybody, everyone there, just over and over. And one of them's like, guys, please, please. And nobody can get this thing going. Our hands are burning. We're tired. We're over and over. We're learning to, to make this fire. And I remember the first one, whenever somebody finally got theirs lit, everybody freaked out. We're like, oh my gosh, we did it. Like part, partly we were thought they were messing with us. Like you can't possibly start a fire with a stick. Like, come on, sticks hate fire. That doesn't make any sense. Gosh, starting to be more and more of a dad. I gotta quit that. Yeah, anyways, but it took three things for us to get this fire going, right? We needed oxygen, right? We had to have oxygen. We needed kindling. We needed something to actually catch. And then we needed some type of igniter. Some kids were smart, brought flint. They got theirs going real quick. The rest of us, I guess our parents didn't love us enough to get us flint. I don't know. I'm <laughs> just joking. But the goal that night, so here's what they taught us. The goal was not just to start this fire. It was to maintain the fire overnight. So we had to take shifts. And we had to keep this fire going through the night. And if your fire went out in the night, you had to wake everybody up and you had to get it going again. And then in the morning when we woke up, we buried the fire. We didn't even cook on it. <laughs> I'm a little upset. But, but just in the same way that we had to maintain this fire, right? We have to steward our passion. We have to steward our ministry. We have to steward that, that fire that's on the inside of us that's burning. It's, it's not about getting the fire started. Thank God he takes care of that part because that part's hard. <laughs> but all we got to do is keep it going. And so if we've got this, this fire that we've received, this baptism of fire, if the Holy Spirit has set on us and we are in flame, the only thing left to do is to share it. 
right? You can either share it or bury it. Those were the options. Share the, share the flame or bury the flame. And I know a song that talks about not hiding it under a bush. Oh, no. Listen, there's things that can extinguish this fire. Things that can put this fire out. Maybe it's old habits. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's unhealthy activity. Or maybe it's just slothfulness. Whatever it is, staying away from that at all costs is very important. (laughs) Right? We got to keep stirring ourselves up. We have to fan the flame, right? Over and over and over again. The fire grows through relationship with God and others. And so I want to read 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 for you. It says, for this reason, I remind you, this is Paul, he's encouraging Timothy. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. Now here in verse 5, a little before, Paul's encouraging Timothy with something very unique. Right? He's not saying, Timothy, you're so awesome. You do such a great job. I'm so proud of you. Right? I'm sure there's some of that in there. But what he encourages him with, what he sets up this whole thing with, is his heritage. He says, Timothy, look back. Look at your mother and your grandmother. Look at your family. Look at your lineage. Look at your history. And see what the Lord's done and how he's passed this down to you. That's how he encourages him. It's not because Timothy's so awesome. It's seeds that were sown in the past, right? Now being manifest in the future. Right? I'm sowing seeds right now in my children's past, right? Well, technically, they're present. But for their future. My five-year-old... His name is Zion, and he is interesting. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. He He is wonderful. He is the sweetest rule follower. It is the weirdest thing. This kid will get in the car. I'll start the car, and he's like, wait, I don't have my seatbelt on. I'm like, what kid wants their seatbelt on? It's the weirdest thing. Like he, he just everything. He loves to tell his little brothers what they're doing wrong, right? But this kid knows scripture, right? And so the other day, my middle child, Ellis, was doing what middle children do, and he wasn't listening, right? He said, Ellis, I need you to go pick up your room, buddy. And he, no, I don't want to clean my room. I'm like, Ellis, you have to clean your room, okay? And he stomps all the way to his room. And I'm, I'm, well, we've got a bunch of parents in here. But just, I don't know. I've never been so mad at a three-year-old in my life. I didn't know you could be mad at a three-year-old. 
And everything in me, I'm like, Caitlin, you're going to have to help me because I don't understand this attitude. Well, Zion comes in to save the day. Zion comes in. Ellis, you have to obey because the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And I'm like, okay. And yesterday, Zion, he preaches this whole message. He comes out, he preaches this whole message to all of us in the living room. He's standing up in front of the TV, and the kid knows like five scriptures. He's very, very proud of them. And he decides to preach every single one of the scriptures that he knows. Everybody sits down and watches. I'm like, you know what, buddy? I hope I do that good tomorrow because that really got me going. The funny thing about that is I did the exact same thing when I was his age. I remember being, I, I don't know how old I must have been, but I'm at my grandma's and it was like Thanksgiving or something. And uh, I get the, I don't even know what it was, some little podium thing. And I preached the gospel to my entire family <laughs> with a chili bowl and everything, <laughs> right? I remember my sister would be disobeying. I'd look over. She's eight years older than me, by the way. I'd look over and I'd say, Lara, even a child is known by his doings. And she'd say, Mom, make him stop. Make him stop quoting scripture? Well, he's using it as a weapon. Well, Lara, it is a double-edged sword. That's, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So these seeds that were put on the inside of me, that flame that was, was being blown on, Right now, I'm seeing that in my own children. And man, it's just awesome to see how God moves and, and, and how he just, he takes over. He takes control if you'll let him. So in this, I know that, I, I don't know a bunch of Timothy's story in terms of his background and where he came from. To me, he just kind of showed up in the Bible, right? And Paul calls him and man, he just goes for it. And he encourages Timothy well, my wife and I, we went on a mission trip in New York, right? So we talked about these moments that, that are these big, big moments where God moves and it's evident and it's, it's obvious. We're at a mission trip with our church. We went to New York. My wife is, oh gosh, six, six months pregnant at the time with our first child. This is a little ways away. And we get to New York, and I'm thinking everything's going to be, I mean, how hard can handing out food be, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about it at the time. I'm a youth pastor, right? I, I can do this. This will be totally fine. Get there. The first day so easy. We're, like, packing boxes of food and whatnot, and I'm like, I can do this. Next day, they put us on the subway, and I'm like, where are we going? I'm like, we're going to Harlem. And I'm like, What? <laughs> Why? Well, there's people there who need Jesus. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not trained for this. And I'm, I'm freaking out on the inside. And I'm sure it was obvious on the outside too. And my wife is so excited. She's pumped. She's ready to go and share the gospel. And I'm like, you're six months pregnant. You're not scared at all. And it's just, it, it didn't even phase her. She's just like, I'm ready. 
And I'm like, well, I need some of that. I'm terrified. So we get off. We go into the, uh, the Harlem Park. We get there. They're like, y'all are going to split up into groups. And you're going to hand out these little kind bars. And you're going to pass them out to everybody. And you're going uh, to invite them to a little lunch that we're doing later. And internally, I'm freaking out. Honestly, I am like, I may be the worship leader and sing on stage, but I am very, very comfortable with that. I can hide behind my guitar if I need to, right? But I'm out in the open. Anything could happen. These people don't know me. And so I I walk up and I see my wife. We walk up to the first group of Italian gangsters. I'm like, what are we doing here? And we walk up, and she's like, hey, y'all. And if you don't know, my wife is incredibly introverted. So I'm just freaking out right now. Like, something's wrong with her. This is pregnancy hormones or something's taking over. And she comes in. She's like, hey, y'all, how's it going? And they're like, hey, how's it going? And they're very excited to see us. We invite them to the lunch. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, this ain't so bad. We keep going. We meet people from Calera, Oklahoma. I'm like... I don't, I don't even know what to say to that guy. We keep moving on and we're starting to build up some strength. We're starting to build some fire, some momentum, right? We're getting excited. We're, we're starting to pray for people as we move along. And then we come up to this young lady who is stuck on the fence. And she's completely up against this chain link fence in a very deformed way. And I'm, she, she has issues, right? There's demonic power all over her. And Caitlin and I both look at each other and we're like, we need to pray for her. And mind you, we're 20-somethings who have never been on a mission trip or done anything like this in our lives. So we walk up and she's non- completely non-responsive. And so we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And finally, just for a second, you could tell just the light came in her eyes and she recognized what was happening? Somebody's praying for me. Some, something's happening. And then right back. And we're, we're praying. We're believing. This, this thing ain't got a hold on you in Jesus' name. And we're casting this thing out. And she comes to. And she accepts Jesus into her heart. And she has a complete transformation right there. Right there in front of us. It was insane. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Right after that. We turn around, we walk off, and we've invited her to come to the thing. We look back, and she's back on the fence. And Caitlin asked me what happened. I said, I don't know. I just saw her free, completely free. I have no idea. So we go home, and we're a little defeated, right? We're like, what ha- how did that happen? Why did that happen? Well, about three weeks later, one of the workers there at the ministry that we were serving with sends Caitlin and I a Facebook message telling us that the next day that girl was completely free. She came in. She knew us by name. She had accepted Jesus into her heart. She had joined the church, and now she was working in Harlem, walking around and ministering to people. And it was just, it was insane. And the point of this story isn't the highlights of my Christian life. It's that when you move, when you move out of the way and you let God move, that's when freedom takes place. Passion is instilled, a flame, right? 
There's new vision. New, she had a completely new purpose for her life. When you let God move, he moves. Sometimes it's just removing yourself out of the equation. And I don't mean not doing anything. I mean telling yourself, hey, this, this doesn't have to do with me. This is about that person. They need what God's going to do. And I'm the only conduit right here, right now. And so what, what happened was this woman was reconciled. She had come back to Jesus. I don't even know if she had ever been to Jesus. But she was reconciled. And so I want to read 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. It says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, right? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you see that? He trusts you and I with his ministry. So how does this tie in? Right? When we've got this, the things that stop us from ministering to people are typically the things that are distractions in our lives. Like I said earlier, it's, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's, it's fear, I don't know. But it's these distractions that keep us from sharing that flame. And I love in Acts chapter 2, which we've been in a ton lately through this entire series, we see thousands come to the Lord. We see thousands and thousands come to the Lord in one moment, right? It says that tongues of fire were poured out on them. And they didn't hold that flame inside, right? They didn't bury it. They shared it. And that flame grew. And so we've got this opportunity right now where there's been an ignition. Something's changed. Something's happened. The Lord's moving. All we have to do is we have to carry it and share it. Antoinette spoke this weekend about don't miss in those moments in Walmart. Right? Walmart's sometimes as bad as Harlem. I, I'm not lying. You're laughing because it's true. But we got to share that flame. We've been entrusted with this ministry, and if we don't do anything with it, no one will. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors. We represent Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Implore comes from a place of desperation. They're desperate that people come to Christ. Have you ever been desperate that someone know Jesus? That you're willing to do anything? I will do anything to share Christ with you. To reconcile is to bring something back to its original intended state or purpose. That's the ministry that you and I are called to. That flame that's on the inside of you, that's what you're supposed to do with it. 
You know how laughter is contagious? Someone starts laughing. Next person starts laughing. By the end of it, everybody's cried and peed their pants, right? (laughs) Right? Those times are great. They stink, but they're great. There are so many things like that in life. Yawns. Dude, I'm a big offender of that. I'm a offender of starting the yawn train. Sorry. There are so many things like that. Joy. Someone's just happy. It's hard to be grumpy around someone who's just happy. For, I mean, and you can't take the joy away from them. Not even if you tried. The Holy Spirit's infectious. And if, if you want that flame to burn and to continue to burn, you've got to share it. You've got to continue to work in that, right? That ministry of reconciliation. And so how do we sustain a move of God? We steward the fire and we share the flame. I want to read Leviticus 6.13 now. I feel like it has a little bit of a different concept for us. It says, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Sharing the flame requires sacrifice. Where there's an altar, there's sacrifice. Sometimes that sacrifices our pride. Sometimes that sacrifices our comfort zone. No, you don't have to be a pastor to be able to minister to someone the good news. If it's good enough, you know it. If you've experienced, nobody, nobody can refute, refute your experiences. I was sharing with a friend uh, a couple years ago, and we were at a, a birthday party, and I was talking to him, and we, we, we didn't really have any deep conversations between us. We were probably more acquaintances than anything. And so we got to asking each other about each other's past. And we both grew up in church from a very young age. We both had great parents. But we both went through the same traumatic event at the exact same time. Both of us had our parents divorce at the age of 12 or split at the age of 12. For me... I had a good mama who kept me in church, kept me disciplined. For him, he didn't have that. And I had someone who was willing to fan that flame inside of me over and over again. He didn't have that. And I started asking him questions and just, it it was just the craziest. It's like I, I met my doppelganger, right? I met this person who's exactly like me other than one thing. And so I asked him, I said, you know, well, what are you doing now? What church do you go to now? Oh, I don't go to church. I was like, what? Yeah, I don't go to church. I'm, a, I'm actually Buddhist now. I'm like, I'm blown away. I'm like, oh my God. Because here's the thing. I'm not judging him right now. I'm visualizing myself in that position if someone hadn't have fanned the flame in me, if someone wouldn't have continuously encouraged me, if someone wouldn't have continually 
handed their flame to me, right? I, I would be right where this guy is. And it just hit me like, I am so fortunate for the church that I have. I'm fortunate for the mom that I have. I'm fortunate for the leaders in my life. Because without them, there's no telling. Now here's the twist. You are that for someone. It's probably someone you hadn't even met yet. You might be that one moment that changes their entire life. Just that one encounter with you. Where you're sharing Jesus, you're just showing the love of Christ. Your flame's so bright you can't contain it. I've just, I've come to this place in life where I've realized I either mean this or I don't. I either believe this or I don't. I mean, growing up, right, you had that, like, it could be your, your mom dragging you to church or whatever. But at this point, I'm here of my own free will. And I'm either dedicated and committed or I'm not. And I'm either going to steward my flame or I'm not. 